For Constant Change, I'm Elliot Gunnell. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Kevin Ozar. Kevin is an educator, a lifelong learner, and a public speaker. He has studied at the University of Dayton and Marygrove College. Kevin is a lead trainer on the Boomerang Project and also consults on education. Kevin has taught others about why it is important to make everyone feel included in an educational environment and has been an advocate for equitable education for all students nationally. Kevin, thanks for being here today. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So can you give us a little backstory on on who you are and and where do you come from? Oh, thanks. Um, uh, Well, uh, I was born and raised in the city of Detroit. um, And I know that if you're from Metro Detroit, it is very common to say like, oh, I'm from Detroit. And then someone asks where, and then they answer Livonia. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was truly raised uh, in Detroit city limits by my parents. I had two younger brothers, um, grew up on the east side, loved it very, very much. Um, right before I was to go away to high school, um, the metal detectors that had recently been installed at the high school I was going to go to were stolen. And I think that really paints a really great picture of, of what was happening post-crack epidemic in the city of Detroit in the late 80s. Mm. So uh, we, we had the opportunity to move to Gross Point, the, the lovely suburb that is just a mile from Detroit, but a world away. And so I had some great experiences, as well as uh, definitely some fish out of water experiences, uh, moving from one very different neighborhood to another, even though they're a stone's throw from each other. I have always wanted to be a teacher. Uh, I was four years old when I first vocalized that to my parents. Um, They were both educators, although I didn't know it. I kind of always thought they were mom and dad. Mm. Um, And so I went to the University of Dayton because they've got this great education program. And it was just far enough away that I wouldn't be at home and close enough that if anything went wrong, I could get on a bus. Mm -hmm. And uh, immediately after college, um, came back to East Detroit, started my teaching career there, started in middle school. Um, then went out to the Northwest suburbs and taught at a very diverse, big American public high school, uh, kind of at a central casting classic big, big school uh, <laughs> called North Farmington, was there for almost two decades. And then um, I am right now um, one of the founding staff members of a school called the Farmington STEAM Academy. It is a K-8 public school, not a charter school. We are dedicated to science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Um, I work for a woman named Dr. Sanders. She's my principal. She kind of hand-selected the staff. And we are really trying to do school different from the way we schedule, from the amount of choice we put in it, to even some of our grading practices. We are really trying to um, create a better school. And Mm. so I've been there for the last three years. And if we, I'll be employed there and teaching from there. One day, I soon, I hope to be back in a classroom. But those, uh, those aren't decisions I get to make right now in 2020. Uh, along the way, I got involved with the Boomerang Project, which is a really great national program that runs Link Crew and Web, in which they empower older kids in schools to take care of the younger kids. And that created some opportunities for me to meet a lot of great educators across the country, start talking on my own, um, doing youth leadership summits and speaking at conferences. And that um, is really very enjoyable for me. So mm. brings us right till today. And now we're, now we're live. That's my whole life. <laughs> Well, that's great because, you know, you touched on a lot of things that I want to talk about today, which is primarily education and, mm-hmm. and, and where do we go from here? Because, you know, COVID-19 has really thrown a wrench into the, the machine that is our lives, that, that moves at an unbeatable pace. Um, and it's different for everyone. Um, obviously, some people are 
are, are having different experiences um, depending on their socioeconomic status, uh, where they live, like you talked about, yeah. whether it's uh, Gross Point or Detroit or it's, you know, Houston or, or you. you know, Santa Cruz, California. And so, you know, I, I would like to get your input on, on what was a major change that was affected, um, you know, something that really challenged you due to COVID-19 in terms of being an educator and, and actually having to, to educate people online in an online scenario? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think the big change for me was that nationally, especially in Michigan, but nationally, teachers had 48 hours to figure this out. And, and we did it. Um, I, I, we don't, I don't know that we did it as well as we could have. Like I always tell people last spring, mm. we were doing emergency learning. That was not distance learning. That was, that was a crisis management. Um, what I realized throughout all of it was that we can do this. There's a way to educate kids um, from a distance. Um, mm. I, I need a lot more practice with it. I think we all need a lot more practice with it. Um, it has certainly highlighted the inequities. If you don't have Wi-Fi and a device and a quiet space where you live, like you're, you're at a disadvantage. Mm. Um, that was the thing. But for me, the big change was once we got into it, I was like, you know what, this, we, we can do this. There's ways to make this better. There's ways that this works. And for some kids, and I feel like this piece of the conversation is really missing for, for a, a large portion of students, it was better. For, for their comfort zone, for them to be able to do it at their own pace or to not have to worry about some of the distractions or for them to be able to do it from home where they felt more comfortable. I think a lot of kids did pretty darn well. I don't think that's what we should all be doing. I'm not advocating we all stay home and, and stay on screens. I think we have not talked a lot about how many kids flourished and I think found some really great rhythm to um, their own hours and, and taking it as it comes. So, um, if you had told me, so I, this morning I was with a friend of mine and he and I traveled uh, to Africa and we got back in late February. And so we got our temperature scanned when we landed in Amsterdam and then we landed in Nairobi. And so because COVID was, COVID-19 was a bigger national, international thing before it came to us. And so we were like, this is a, this is going to be a thing. This is going to be a thing. And it just, it, it went here so quickly um, that I don't think we really had a chance to think about it. We've always, we've been reacting to it. I think we're still just reacting to it. We're not getting ahead of it in a lot of ways. And as a result of that, um, we don't have a lot of time for reflection. And as I reflect back, I, I think that distance learning can work. And if you had told me when I was getting off that plane that six months from then I would be teaching my kids online and wearing a mask everywhere, I, I was not prepared for that. But now that I look back, I wouldn't have believed you that I don't play mm -hmm. basketball anymore. Now I play pickleball. Like mm -hmm. I didn't know what pickleball was four months ago. <laughs> um, but what I think we're not talking about is that it did work for some kids and it can work. And it, every teacher in America was a first year teacher last year, you know, mm -hmm. and anybody will tell you your first year teaching is your first three years is kind of all practice. Um, and you don't really get good to you've got some more reps in. So this mm. is a really long winded answer, but I think what I've realized the change for me is that we can do this and 
it is not wildly ineffective. It is not always effective and it can get better. That's an interesting approach. I mean, a lot of the things that you hear, um, even in, even in my house, um, is this distance learning thing. It's not for me. And, and I think far too often we don't hear that for a lot of people, um, it's working. And they are able to take it at their own pace. So that's an interesting perspective. But there is this sort of this learning game that has to kind of that has mm-hmm. to kind of work out. Um, and and you know, obviously, COVID has affected the way that you teach. You know, but what does it feel like to get onto this new rhythm? And 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 do you see this new rhythm continuing past? the yeah. pandemic in a way? That's a great question. So um, again, I mentioned her again, uh, my principal, uh, Dr. Sanders, she, she gave me a bunch of articles right before the winter break associated with Christmas for, for most people, late December. And she said, I think this is going to be a thing. I want you to look into it. And she had run wow. off a bunch of articles about this, this new concept called blended learning. And blended learning means you take some of your content online and at home at your own pace. And some of it, you come to school or you meet with groups. She's like, I think this is something. What do you think? So I took it all home and I read it. And I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds pretty good. I could see that. That makes sense. You know, the equity issue is going to be there, retraining teachers, attendance. Like, you know, I was putting kind of my 2019 hat on. And, and when we got together, she gave it to two other staff members and we kind of got together and we talked book club kind of article club thing. And I was like, listen, mm-hmm. I think we're seven years away from this. I think if you look mm-hmm. at how education shifts, I think we're seven years. And she's <laughs> like, okay, as at our school, I want us to think about being there in three years. And she, wow. she, she pointed to the middle schoolers. She's like, all right, by the time these middle schoolers are done, I think we should have a blended learning component. I want that. And this is very much her. She wants the new thing. She's always pushing us. And we all kind of rolled our eyes like, okay, cool. And then sure enough, you know, March hits and we're into blended learning. I think we were headed that way. Um, hmm. I think that that many college students who I've talked to, my former students talk about how, how many of their classes are on, on online. Hmm. Many of my kids are, can take health online. Um, we've had these online components that exist, whether they are good or not, is a different story. Hmm. And I think, and I think that this, this is a big kind of value statement for me. I don't think we go to school to meet standards. And I know that's contrary to what the state issues we might check for, mm-hmm. but I think we go to learn how to be people with other people and the diploma at the end or the certificate or the mortar board. And that's, you know, it's, we, we joke when we talk about movies and stuff, like the real point of the story was the friends we made along the way, you know, it had uh, nothing to do with yeah. melting the ring or yeah, facing yeah. Darth Vader or, or coming together as the Avengers. Like that's mm. not really the point of this. The point is that we have to self-grow. So I, I do believe that that's the point of education. And I don't know how we're going to do that well as a society if we're all in our own spaces, not interacting. And mm. so as long as school is the primary place for young people to interact with each other and to socialize, then we have to figure out a way to get human beings together so they can learn how to be together as human beings. Um, but I've never felt that schools functioned solely for meeting standards and memorizing facts and because that we, that's outmoded. I mean, the answers to almost every low level question in the world is in your pocket right now. So it's mm. about thinking and about being around people. 
Um, so we can do that a lot of different ways. And one of them might be blended learning. We also, however, need that component of being around other people. And that's what we're really sorely missing right now. Hmm. It's interesting. And, and, and that's a valuable point in my own education. I remember the classes that I enjoyed the most were not the ones that were so much crunch this data and come up with this answer, but more of like, let's come to a conclusion and a consensus as a group. And so I'm, I'm wondering in a online scenario, hybrid program, you know, something where it's flex learning, where you're in school for a little bit of the time in a small group and, you know, and you're at home for part of the time. Do you see a, a, a place for, for sort of a, a new public forum, a new space where, you know, or maybe a, a reusing a public space like a library for more of that, that sort of in between gray area of, of education where students could sort of come together, ping some ideas off each other, but maybe they're still in an online, you know, scenario. Do you, do you see that as maybe a, a new portion of, of a school because like with the physical infrastructure? Yeah, I think, I think it can look like a lot of things. Um, you know, it's tough to have both conversations right now because we have to have like a biological health conversation mm, that mm-hmm. where we say the word COVID a lot. And then we, we want to try and have an emotional health conversation. And we, when we talk about interaction and self-actualization, the, I, I keep refer, referring back to this. I mean, the classroom model, the, the, the desks in a row, I think it's trash. And I didn't always think this, but I learned it by watching different things happen. And mm. just the introduction of yoga balls and tables when I was a high school teacher was a game changer for the way that people interacted with the space. Um, so, again, the school I'm at right now, we, we do a lot of independence. We have all kinds of learning areas where oftentimes we start class and give them the charge or give them the driving question and then give them 55 minutes and like, go figure it out. And they ask and they work all over the building. And then they come back. Um, I would love to see that get bigger. Places like libraries. Um, places like small businesses. I mean, the, the mm. purpose of a cafe has always been to, to, to meet and, and to caucus and to talk and to have coffee and, and people come in and out. Um, as much as I, I, I know this is an unpopular opinion, I never liked friends. You know, mm. I, I just, uh, that show, they're not friendly to it. If I had friends who treated me like this, like I need new friends. Um, <laughs> And I love that they always met at the coffee shop. I love that. Mm. So I, I read a book a bunch of years ago called Campfires in Cyberspace. And it's the idea that the, the, the computer, the, the online forum, the message board can be like the campfire that people gather around. For thousands of years, human beings have gathered around bright, well-lit spaces to, to interact. Mm. That doesn't always have to be physical. Mm. So I think that I love the idea of people meeting at places or, I mean, I, my, my favorite times in college and high school were when we had a group project and they're like, all right, where do you want to meet? And it was somebody's basement or somebody's back deck or one of the great parks. And we, you know, we'd hash something out there in a notebook. Um, We might not be able to biologically safely do that. However, we can certainly meet in these spaces and have, I mean, we're pushing big ideas right now. And you and I are just connected by some microphones and some headphones. This is actually happening. Yeah. And so I think we have to reimagine this space. I had this wonderful conversation with this gifted principal. And for like eight months ago, she had asked me to come down and be the opening speaker at her school on August 3rd, 2020. I was like, absolutely. I got nothing on the books. 
Mm. Well, we talked last week and she's like, we're not open. It's like, what are we going to do? And we're kicking around these ideas. And um, she's like, I said, well, how are your teachers going to teach? She's like, well, they're going to teach virtually. I'm like, well, then maybe we do a virtual keynote. Ah. And she said, and she said, well, would that work? I was like, I don't know. I hear that people fall in love online. You know, they, there's no reason we can't fire people up for an educational year. And she's like, have you ever done this? I was like, no, but let's try it. And, and that phrase came out of my mouth kind of flippantly that people fall in love online, but I think they do. And I think there's lots of people who can tell you that they met and courted online that mm. we were, I, some of my, my closest friends and I only interact digitally because we live thousands of miles away from each other, but I don't disvalue that friendship. So I think it's going to have to be a shift where we're so used to our classrooms as educators. We're so used to school as this institution and mm. this, this community literal hub that houses have been built around um, and, and zoned around. I mean, look at the zoning around schools. They shape mm. our neighborhoods where you can put this shop or where foot traffic has to go. And I think if we can continue to keep them at the forefront of importance and not make them brick and mortar, we can continue to educate, to reach, to connect people. Part of that's going to be learning the tech. Um, and part of that's going to be making sure that a big part of it's going to be making sure every kid has that tech. Um, and I don't know that I, I have an answer for that, but I know that I would like to, as an educator myself and for other educators say, like, it's not your classroom. So quit trying to make it your classroom. It's something mm. different, but it is still a gathering place. If, if teachers put half as much time into cultivating their backgrounds and figuring out their mic levels as they do <laughs> seating charts and posters and little things on the wall, then ah. I think some kids get some really good experiences because this is now your classroom. Hmm. And so if you just shift your thinking and then we have to find a way to get every kid in and that's the equity and that's the access piece. And, hmm. and I, I don't have that piece. I know that we, especially in the last three months, have been paying a lot of attention to the fact that there are systematic barriers to equity for a lot of different subgroups in our country. And I mean subgroup as in smaller population, not sub, substandard or subworthy. Hmm. And I think that this will also, I hope that this also pushes our, our, our keen eye and we start to notice, because schools have been unequal for a long time. Um, and I, I can say that from somebody who's been inside and perpetrated it by being part of the system this is forcing us to, to really pay attention to a lot. And I hope that we're paying attention to who, the haves and have nots and, and the patterns that we look at when we see it. Hmm. I think it's interesting to bring up, you know, you, you were talking about how in a digital capacity, there's still this ability to, to communicate and to, to have a dialogue because I think far too often, even in my own blind spots, I think, well, if it's online, it doesn't count because right. if if we're not in person we're we're lacking something but but if you think about it critically what what really is the difference i mean you know camp, campfires you know in cyberspace that's such a great kind of even title that sort of gets you going because for mm -hmm. millennia people have been around these sort of you know primal reptilian groups of you know let's let's have this conversation and, and so yeah. to think about it in an online capacity is interesting but you know, where you touched on on the last part, the inequality, I think that takes a deeper look. And, and my, yeah. my thinking is, um, you know, after COVID-19, can we, can we build back better? So, you know, even if we um, can go back to school, 
you know, what, what can that look like for all people involved? Can we, can we make schooling more equitable when we have this restart that is, that is COVID-19? Or do you think that, that we're going to have to just take it as it comes and, and not have a, a specific date to make mm. it better? Yeah. Oh, no, dog. Like, <laughs> here's what I know. I know that people don't always love um, when things are hard, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I most myself included, I'll take easy over hard most days. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I, I titled uh, that the YouTube series I started during the, the pandemic school closure, this is not a snow day. It was because I wanted us to take it seriously. Mm. And so I am hoping that we can intentionally build some things into the way we're doing online learning that will open up the conversations and name the values of equity that we can then reapply to the buildings when they open. So what do I mean by that? Because people are going to be super tempted that when the schools open back up and they will, Mm-hmm. that like, oh, whew, we survived. Now uh, let's go right back to 2019's model because, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to feel so good to sit back. You know, it's when you're away, you travel, you get back, you sit in your favorite chair, like, oh, that's so nice. Mm-hmm. But maybe that, that, that chair isn't great or maybe there isn't a chair for everybody. Mm-hmm. So we have the opportunity to do this better, distance learning. And we certainly have an opportunity to apply the lessons we learned here hard lessons and easy lessons, and then do the work to rebuild our schools. I, I, think, I think there will be more of an online component because we've forced ourselves to move into that. And that I think could be very beneficial. Um, as far as the equity piece, um, there's a saying that I've read that I don't know if I'm comfortable with. So I'll say it with this caveat, this mm. idea that we are living through our second civil rights movement. I don't know that I'm I, I have the license or the life experience to label that. And I've heard some pushback on that that we, this is not the second civil rights movement, we weren't done with the first. Ah. And so however you wanna frame the conversations that we're seeing around Black Lives Matter, around the way that women are talked to in the workplace, around uh, trans identity, all of, this, all of the stuff that we've been paying attention to because there's no sports and we weren't busy at work mm-hmm. and because it was time and a lot of things boiled up. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very hopeful that those go into the schools. Um, in some way, shape, or form, not in a let's indoctrinate children one value system or another, because that's not the purpose of schools. Schools Hmm. um, reflect their society. They do not dictate their society. So how do we reflect all the the humans who are part of our society and see more representation in in texts, more representation in uh, the art um, that is part of on our walls, um, who our schools are named after. I think these are all really good conversations that I hope continue. Um, it's going to take hard work though, which is not always mm-hmm. everybody's favorite, especially when we're doing really hard work to keep more people alive. And this is, this is a moment. And so I'm hoping we don't rush out of it. I'm hoping that they don't treat it like a snow day that we weather and move forward, that we treat it like, okay, things are different now and, mm. and, and move in. So we have a great opportunity to look at everything from grading to school districts that when people come back, which buildings will they go to? Um, the way that we we talk to and reach out and and help kids, um, how we present online as a tool, sometimes maybe as a support um, for different kids and their learning. So I think we've got we have 
I mean, change is often uncomfortable, but we've, we don't, we, people don't always want to start change, but we didn't get, we didn't, we didn't opt into this change. We, we were, we have to change right now. And so hopefully mm. we, we intentionally carry that forward um, because we got, we got a kick in the butt. Like this was not, this is not an option. We're just doing it now. And so that's, that's one of the things that I, I think sets us up for it. Will we do it to answer your question? I think many will. Mm. Um, I really do think many will. And, uh, and we'll see, we'll see what the will of many turns into in a couple of years. Hmm. Great. I mean, uh, great insight. I mean, just to know that, that, um, that educators are processing that sort of what do we do and, and how do we do it? And I think that's what makes teachers great. Um, so if someone was in your position about to make that transition, maybe in 2019 or in the future from a traditional school sort of model to online, mm -hmm. what would you tell them? If they had already been in the classroom, I would have them really try to draw the similarities to what they already know, just doing it a little differently. Hmm. Because you already greet your kids at the door. That's basic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Great teachers greet their kids at the door. So when somebody logs into your Zoom meeting, say their name. Hey, Elliot, good to see mm -hmm. you. Hey, what's going on, Monica? Oh, Juan Carlos, is that a new hat? Very basic. And I, I perceive that many teachers are so uh, out of sorts with the tech that they're just trying to like just get it over with. And they rush through these lessons. And the reality uh. is you need to connect with your kids. So I would say the, the stuff that you can very easily do walking the halls or going up and down your rows or patting people on the back or, or helping them with their lockers or whatever it might be, all that kind of physical kind of, you don't even think it matters, but it's, it really is the foundation of your school when you start the day, when you start the class, you have to intentionally build that. So I don't think you start your lesson with um, getting into the quadratic equation. I think you start it with like, all right, everybody, what do we have for breakfast today? Here we go. Uh, and, you do the, and you do the question of the day mm -hmm. or you do the show and tell or like, today's challenge is something blue. Everyone has 30 seconds to bring something blue to the camera. It better not be your little <laughs> sister. Go. And then you and create some fun, engaging things around being at school. So you're not enduring this. You are sharing this moment. Uh. And, and teachers know this. Like they know to build in a break when they're in their class because even if they're not doing it on purpose, they're tuned into their kids. They're watching the fidgets. They're watching the third kid go get Kleenex. They're watching someone like, oh my gosh, my class needs a break. They're going to need a break online too. So that's why you're like, all right, everybody, take your right hand, high five the camera, take your left hand, high five the camera. Everybody stand up. Or do, and they play the hokey pokey on their Spotify account and the whole class is the hokey pokey. And you sit back down and then you get back into why the economies of the North and the South led up to the Civil War. Don't, uh, yeah. don't endure the technology hmm. do your class with the technology and if that means it's going to be a little longer if that means things aren't going to load then say hey guys it didn't load my bad at most times when i had tech glitches one of my students would pop up in the chat like mr ozar change this setting right here i'm like oh thanks mitchell all right <laughs> so you know, i'm like hey that really worked um and just and be a learner with them that's the other thing i think hmm. that you as a young person are much more digitally literate. You, mm. you are, you grew up online in many ways. I know my daughters are, uh, I have a daughter who's starting high school, daughter who's starting middle school. Uh, 
And so we as educators, there's an older model that's often referred to as the sage and the stage where you're the expert and you, you hold the knowledge mm. and you parse it out to the students. Like that's, that's not great learning. And that doesn't mm. create learners. That creates people who um, serve for kind of tyrannical bosses. We don't want anybody mm. who just wants to follow orders as a mm -hmm. country that doesn't move us forward. We want people who are thinkers, who are helpers, who are collaborators. So be a collaborator and say, hey, guys, I'm trying a new lesson. You got to let me know what this is like and then do it. And at the end, have the courage as an educator. Like, all right, guys, real talk. I'm sending you a Google form where you can rate it. <laughs> but I want to know, did you like it? And I did lessons like that at the start. And, you know, the kids are like, uh, you were trying really hard, Mr. Ozar. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> or uh, okay and like oh i really like this app or you know or, oh try this or that was fun or we can't hear you and just not be afraid as a teacher to share your classroom and the direction and the learning and be a learner yourself with them and i think that engages the students that takes the pressure off you and it also leverages what you know already as um as a technologically savvy person you said something that's super interesting to me which is something about having classes online makes it feel less important. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, because we kind of view these screens, especially our cell phones as, as entertainment, right? Like I'm keeping up my snap streaks or mm. I'm on TikTok or this is how I watch Grey's Anatomy for the 45th time. <laughs> and, and that's okay. We as adults have to build comfort with our devices and we have to help young people see their devices as tools with academic purpose, with professional purpose, as well as uh, recreational purpose. Mm. Uh, because really our relationships with our phones are, are, for many young people, is this is fun, this is social. And now suddenly it's where class is coming and that's going to be a shift that we have to help them with uh -huh. as adults. Um, and that's, that's something that I think we'll have to work at collectively, which is how do you use that device and, and, and what happens in your brain, your neuro linguistic programming that says like, if I'm holding this, it's fun time, mm. you know, and, and even um, how we encourage kids to take calls. Um, I have a, a, a business venture starting up right now in which we're creating professional development, not just for teachers, but also for kids and parents on how to manage distance learning. And one of the things is like, sit up, get out of bed because your body thinks you're at rest when you're holding your phone up, you know, and you're just like, Oh no, I'm just hanging out. It's how I watch movies. You can't watch movies and go to algebra with the same energy, the same outfit, the same spot and expect <laughs> a different result. Studies have shown that if you study for a test in the same spot, you take the test, your score goes up. Wow. It's true because your wow. body, your, 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 your body senses, this is the place we do this. Mm. And so we need to train our, our, our kids to be different for learning. So like, cool, I'm going to use my iPad and I'm going to um, play Candy Crush for six hours. That's totally okay if you have that time. But when you need that same iPad to go to reading class, you better go to a different room and probably put on a different shirt because it'll tell your body we're doing something different. Mm. And this is the kind of stuff that we need to do to really shift this conversation so that we don't have the kind of very soft and loose couple months that we had when we jumped into emergency learning and, and called it distance learning. Hmm. Wow. There's some great tools in there for, for, um, future educators or educators who are, are, are working right now. Um, 
But on a lighter note, on this podcast, we try to connect people through a common denominator change. Okay. Another great common denominator is the sandwich. What is your favorite sandwich? Oh, man. Okay. All right. So real talk you told me this story was this question was coming mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. i've been i've been noodling on it in the in the, the <laughs> sub processors here so uh all right so i w- my first answer my, my first blush is not my final answer my, okay. my first okay. answer is man i love a really good burger okay. uh you know i am over the age of 21 and a good bar burger is a mm. thing and okay. my fa- my father shares an affinity for a good burger my buddy keith so i i'm always in search of a good bar burger which I believe is technically a sandwich, but I'm not going to make that my sandwich. My favorite sandwich <laughs> is the buffalo chicken with lettuce and tomato on a pretzel roll, blue wow. cheese dressing available at Lunchbox Deli in uh, Gross Point on Mac Avenue in Cadu. Wow. Yeah, it's a thing. Yes. It's and got the Frank's red hot hotness. Like it's, got, it's like a, a hot wing. They fry up the chicken and then... The pretzel roll. I, I would have never thought. I saw it on the menu. I'm like, eh, I'll take it as a wrap. And I ate it as a wrap for a couple of times. I was like, all right, you guys designed this as a pretzel roll. Let me have it. I've never gone back. Pretzel roll. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is really... I, I, I personally, You're shook. I, was not, I shook you yeah, right now. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Um, but I like the fact that, that you take a meal that is traditionally, you know, on a plate yeah and turn it into a more accessible unit that is a pretzel roll with all of those fixings on it yeah i'm a i'm an educator man we adapt we are not (laughs) afraid to to get outside that box sometimes kevin thanks for lending your time today to be on constant change it has been great talking with you thank you so much i appreciate you listening and i um i urge everybody to um to not just do your best in these tough times, but also to uh, err on the side of believing everyone else is doing their best too. I think if we all just recognize how hard many of us, all of us are working, um, we'd be a lot less frustrated uh, with others as well as ourselves. So I appreciate the time. If you resonated with today's conversation or you know somebody who'd be interested in this show, it would mean a lot to us if you shared this with them. I'm honored to be able to tell the stories of constant change.